And now we are poised at the threshold between resignation and revolution. We cannot change the past, but listen, we cannot predict the future either. Everything is possible. Therefore, bring all that you are, spirit, muscle, the will to thrive and love. Bring your righteous fury and your steadfast resolve. Let's make this sanctuary a launching place and this hour our sustenance and fuel. Mm -hmm. Come, let us worship together. Good morning and welcome. I'm Angela Herrera, the first unit, the uh, senior minister here at First Unitarian Church. I am not the First Unitarian Church, only a minister. On this Mother's Day morning, I'm joined by Associate Minister the Reverend Bob Lavalley, by Intern Minister Matt Pargeter Villarreal, Lay Worship Leader John Eldridge, and our DJ and Technical Arts Director Chris Paul. Our ushers today are Michaela, Barry, and Cheryl. Our Time for All Ages was prepared by Emily Wright Magoon, and our musician is our very own Linda Myers. We are all so glad to be with you this morning. We especially welcome any new visitors. So if this is your first or second time and you feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and location in the chat so we can welcome you personally. And now John has some announcements to share. We have five announcements this morning. First, have an extra candle on hand for a Mother's Day candle lighting. Also, the One New Mexico Gospel Concert will be held in our sanctuary at 3 p.m. on Sunday, May 15th. It's a free concert held in the spirit of bringing people of all faiths together to celebrate the history and power of gospel music. Dr. Stevie Springer is directing a citywide choir and band. Featured soloists include four celebrated gospel vocalists, Tony Morgan, Pat Brown, Alina Cedillo, and special guest Aretha Hardin from Las Vegas, Nevada. After a three-year hiatus, Wolf will be back June 20th through 26th at Ghost Ranch. Wolf is the acronym for Western Unitarian Universalist Life Festival that consists of outdoor activities and indoor activities for all ages. To see this year's program, go to wolf.org. I'll spell it out for you, wuulf.org. Space is limited, but still available. Please see me, John Eldridge, for more information. Watch your email boxes. The Radical Generosity Committee sent out a survey this week to hear your thoughts about being part of First Unitarian and your engagement with our congregation. Your feedback is important, so please take a few minutes to respond. Finally, a reminder to sign up for one of the discussion groups reading Mistakes and Miracles starting this month. This is part of the First Unitarian's effort to prepare for voting on the eighth principle at our next annual meeting. Contact Linda Skye or Ellie Van Meel to sign up or for any questions. Their emails are shared in the chat. We gather now in light and warmth of this flame the flame of truth and freedom, the flame of hope and wonder, the flame of love for others. We live to keep this flame alive in us and in others. Every day is Everest. Every night is Paris. Every time I kiss the angels while they sleep. Every time I weep, a beauty 
Let's remember Mother's Day today 
with the words of Reverend Tracy Springberry. On this Mother's Day, let us hold in our hearts all those who love their mothers, who had blessed childhoods, and whose mothers loved them and supported them through adulthood, and who they celebrate today with joy. Let us hold also those who have been hurt by their mothers, who don't like their mothers, or no longer speak to their mothers and find today painful. Let us hold those whose mothers have died and today are filled with sadness or guilt or relief. Let us hold all who are mothers in our hearts. Those who have found mothering fulfilling, those who've discovered too late that they were not suited for the task, and those who just muddle along as best they can. Those who have borne the brunt of this pandemic, schooling and caring for children while separated from communities, friends and families, exhausted and with few resources. Let us also remember all those for whom this day is painful, those who wanted to be a mother but never could, or those who still try month after month without success. Those who have given children for adoption and wonder where and how they are. Those who are separated from their children or their mothers by distance or estrangement. Those who wanted to be a better mother and now have regrets. Let us remember particularly now those who don't want to or can't mother a child but find themselves pregnant in places where they have no choice but to give birth and thus are forced into this sacred challenging task without resources or desire. You're now invited to light a candle for all the ways that you experience mothers and motherhood.
Let us bless us all, wherever we are, whatever we need on this Mother's Day. May it be so. We are not isolated beings. We are connected with the miracle and mystery of the universe, with our community, and with each other. Please use the chat bar to share what is on your heart and to support others as they share what's on their hearts. If you're not able to write in the chat bar, please contact the church office or email caring at uuabq.org. The video will prompt us first to share our joys and then later the video will prompt us to share our concerns.
deixando o medo atrás Escutei a tua voz Dizendo meu ouvido Por que choras em meu filho? Se temor e o ardor do coração Também vim te contar Dessa verdade que eu não posso escapar Teu olhar me diz aqui estou Deixa eu te amar Que estou Deixa eu te these joys and concerns, we lift up to the great powers of celebration, healing, and renewal, known by many names. Let's pray together. We lift up Kathy Quait, who is having surgery this week. May her healing be swift and comfortable. We mourn with Caitlin Anderson as she, as she grieves the passing of her mother, Fran. May light perpetual shine upon Fram. Spirit of justice, wrathful goddesses, we are angry. Angry about the draft decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Angry that the Supreme Court is considering this. Angry at this assault on reproductive rights. Angry at the dismissal of bodily autonomy. And we are afraid, afraid of the effect of this decision on so many lives, afraid that this may be the beginning of a regression in civil rights. So we call it to you, Holy Ones, as we raise our voices in defiance, as we mobilize against these threats and create networks of support for those seeking abortions. May the hearts and minds of the Supreme Court justices be stirred May true justice prevail over power and privilege. May this draft decision not come to pass this day or any other day. And we give thanks for the people who put their bodies in the way of injustice, and the ministers, the music director, and the first Unitarian members who attended the pro-choice rally on Tuesday night. We pray as the work continues. And we pray with all the people in New Mexico impacted by the wildfires. We mourn for the habitats lost, for homes held for generations destroyed, the livelihoods overturned. We give thanks for the firefighters and all who support them. May the devastating reality of these fires spur our leaders 
to meaningfully address our climate crisis. We give thanks for this congregation that we co-create. May we continue to find meaning and purpose and love and consolation within this religious community. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you. No matter who you are, you gotta love yourself, love yourself, just the way you are right now. Love yourself, love yourself. Understood by your own kind. You may doubt your own mind, but never doubt love. And soon you'll find you and I were all humankind. No matter who you are, you gotta love yourself. Love yourself just the way you are. May not feel the fit in the skin that you're born with, but your soul fits you just right. The soul you're born with. Gotta keep your soul inside and love hold you tight. Whenever change comes, you'll be ready if you love yourself. No matter who you are. Yourself, love yourself just the way you are right now. Love yourself, love yourself. Love never quits, love never gives up, love never dies, love stands by. Quits, love never gives up, love never dies, love stands by. Love transcends, love transports, love transforms, love translates, love
Our reading this morning is We Are of a Tribe by Alberto Rios. We plant seeds in the ground and dreams in the sky, hoping that someday the roots of one will meet the upstretched limbs of the other. It has not happened yet. We share the sky, all of us, the whole world. Together we are a tribe of eyes that look upward even as we stand on uncertain ground. The earth beneath us moves quiet and wild, its boundaries shifting, its muscles wavering. The dream of sky is indifferent to all of this, impervious to borders, fences, and reservations. The sky is our common home, the place we all live. There, we are in the world together. The dream of sky requires no passport, Blue will not be fenced. Blue will not be a crime. Look up. Stay a while. Let your breathing slow. Know that you always have a home here. I feel like starting this sermon with a primal scream. Anybody else feeling that way after this week's news? I've had an abortion. I've shared that story with you before. It's common, so common, with one in four women having one by the age of 45, according to the Guttmacher Institute, that you know many, many other people who've had one too. Maybe you've had one yourself. Everyone loves someone who had an abortion. When you need one, you need one. That's why the vast majority of Americans support the constitutional right to have one. Without a final say in whether or not to give birth, a person who can get pregnant loses control over their body and their life. It is outrageous that the same folks who refused to protect others by wearing masks during a deadly pandemic because of individual liberty are now legislating forced childbirth. These folks are not concerned about hypocrisy though. That's because what motivates them is not morality or freedom, but ideology, especially religious ideology. The statistics are clear. Most Americans support Roe v. Wade. Only about 29% of voters want it overturned. But a highly driven group of extreme conservatives have played a long game stoking fear manipulating elections through voter restrictions, some of which were so discriminatory they were struck down by a previous Supreme Court, and then gerrymandering and doing whatever it takes to put like-minded judges in place. And so now we're beginning to see an increase in laws that impose a conservative religious ideology on Americans, most of whom, most of those Americans, either hold other religious beliefs or are not religious at all, And while there are some exceptions, when you look at who is in power and moving this agenda forward, it's extremely clear what the primary demographic of their leadership and voter base is. White, cisgendered, heterosexual men who identify as Christians. These same folks are now proposing, and in many cases passing, laws restricting speech and banning books in classrooms. They are legislating which bathrooms people can use a highly personal and sensitive matter and limiting what kind of healthcare 
might be provided to minors, regardless of the science and recommendations of actual experts. Again, all we have to do is look at the hypocrisy to see that the well being of children is not the issue here. The intended impact of these laws is not an increase in child well being, it is the enforcement of religiously conservative views about gender and sexual orientation. After decades of gains in LGBTQ rights, culminating in the Supreme Court affirming the right to same-sex marriage in 2015, there's now a growing wave of legislative attempts to roll rights back, and especially to limit those of transgender people. In the 2018 legislative session, legislators introduced 41 anti-LGBTQ bills. That was in 2018, 41 bills. This year, as of March 20th, nearly 240 anti-LGBTQ bills had been introduced, most of them targeting transgender people. And some of them have now become law. In Alabama, Governor Kay Ivey signed into law House Bill 322, which forces students to use bathrooms according to the sex assigned at birth, not their gender, and includes an amendment prohibiting anyone from providing classroom instruction from discussion about discussions of sexual orientation or gender identity that are not age appropriate. So it prohibits classroom instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity that are not age appropriate. And neither classroom instruction nor age appropriate are defined in the bill. So that raises a lot of questions about whether something as simple as a teacher or a school counselor answering questions about their own family structure or gender could violate this law. In Florida, Ron DeSantis signed the Parental Rights and Education Bill, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, which prohibits classroom instruction for kindergartners through third graders about sexual orientation or gender identity, regardless of students' questions, a teacher's gender identity or orientation and other circumstances. Like the Arizona bill, the Florida law does not define classroom instruction. And the bill in Florida also states that school counselors, licensed counselors, will be forced to conform to the same prohibition. KIV also signed Senate Bill 184 into law. That one mandates that school counselors and other school officials must inform the parents if a minor student says that they are or may be transgender, regardless of whether that is in the best interest of a minor's health and safety. By the way, that also tramples right over a counselor ethics like standards of practice in terms of privacy. That bill also prohibits gender affirming medical care for minors. And in Arizona, Governor Doug Ducey signed into law SB 1138, prohibiting gender transition procedures in healthcare, including care that would delay the onset of puberty until such time as the patient is over 18 years old. These new laws restricting healthcare go against the recommendations of the American Medical Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics. The AMA urges legislators not to constrain the ability of medical providers to determine the best way to provide care for their minor patients. And the AMA cites studies demonstrating that gender affirming healthcare leads to better mental health and lower rates of suicide and self-harm among minors. Of the Alabama healthcare bill, the American Academy of Pediatrics says, quote, 
criminalizing evidence-based medically necessary services is dangerous, both to patients and pediatricians. By the way, both the Alabama and Arizona bills prohibiting surgical intervention for trans kids include an exception for when a child is born intersex. Intersex is a term that's used for a variety of situations in which a person is born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit the usual boxes of female and male. About one or 2% of the population is intersex. Surgeries that are done on intersex children without a medical reason and without regard for that child's internal sense of gender. So surgeries that are done for the mere purpose of making a child's body conform to a parent or doctor's expectations of their anatomy is considered a human rights abuse. So to recap, the laws ban medically appropriate care and they contain an exception for a human rights abuse. Both intersex and transgender people should be able to decide for themselves what is right for their bodies and spirits. The American Counseling Association affirms that transgender and gender diverse identities are a normal part of human development. That position aligns with every major healthcare professional organization globally. So this is not even a question anymore. There have always been transgender and non-binary people in every time, in every culture, though the language to describe that reality, that beautiful human diversity differs. Now it's well known that transgender youth are at higher risk for psychological and physical harm than other youth. And there is strong, strong evidence that these laws will cause further harm. That harm is connected with the stigma and the invalidation that's worsened by the politicization of people's identities and the blocking of healthcare that improves both short and long-term outcomes. I'm gonna share some information with you right now that was published, uh, there, it's from studies that were published in peer-reviewed academic journals. So that's considered the highest uh, level, the highest standard for science-based publications. And as always, I'm gonna include links to those journal articles and other sources for this sermon in the text version of this sermon, which you can find on our website generally by Sunday afternoon, if not Monday. And I invite you to check them out for yourself if you'd like. I'm sharing this science-based information because I think it's really important for all of us to understand exactly how harmful this legislation is. So first of all, on the level of censoring classroom discussions, a study published in the Journal of Sex Research in 2019 showed that interpersonal and institutional invalidation, meaning the experience of not having one's identity recognized contributes to adverse mental health outcomes. Health outcomes. It's bad for mental health. So saying nothing, like in the don't say gay law, that actually says quite a lot. It makes people invisible, marginalized, kids in this case. It's not a neutral action. It's harmful to censor any mention of a whole group of people. Another study published this year by a team of researchers from Stanford, Harvard, Brigham and Women's Hospital and Mass General Hospital, demonstrated that transgender people who access gender affirming hormone therapy in early or late adolescence have better mental health outcomes as adults and are less likely to be suicidal, experience severe psychological distress, binge drink or self-medicate with illegal drugs. 
2021, Clinical Child and Family Psychology Review published a meta-analysis of 44 peer-reviewed journal articles on risk and resilience in transgender and gender nonconforming youth. So a meta-analysis is when researchers look at a whole bunch of studies that have been done and they add them all up together in a report. The report showed that age, I'm gonna explain this in a second, age is negatively correlated with mental wellness in transgender youth. So in other words, the negative correlation means as time passes, the risk of depression and suicide increases in transgender youth suggesting that delays in medically necessary gender affirming healthcare will cause harm. The paper also concluded that for youth, the ability to live openly in their affirmed gender is absolutely best for mental health and that social support and non-discrimination are key factors in well-being and in resiliency. And finally, an article published in the New England Journal of Medicine last year cautioned that decisions about transgender healthcare should be made by healthcare professionals using evidence-based recommendations of the Endocrine Society, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, and the American Academy of Pediatrics, and that blocking healthcare options for transgender youth is dangerous and harmful, especially to mental health. The authors of that one pointed out that there is a wide range of medical and non-medical treatments available. Non-medical options include therapy, coming out to loved ones or socially transitioning by dressing or grooming according to one's gender identity. Medical options include puberty blocking pharmaceuticals, which is a reversible treatment that has been used for 30 years and has a proven record of safety. Blocking puberty can buy a young person some time. It reduces distress. It can improve mental health without making or allowing puberty to make irreversible changes. And when age appropriate and appropriate for the individual, hormone treatments and surgical options have been shown to lead to better health outcomes. Some choose not to pursue any action or treatment at all though, and that is also valid. But decisions, about what is best for an individual patient should be left to them and to their guardians if they are a minor in consultation with their healthcare providers. And those decisions should be guided by science, not by religious fundamentalists. Religious fundamentalists should not make decisions about anyone's healthcare, but their own. Legislating religious fundamentalism is theocracy. It is imperative that we pay attention to this because it affects every one of us, who we are, who we can love, how we can live, and the private decisions of all of our loved ones too. If the Supreme Court rolls back one constitutional right, others will be next. And all we have to do is look at the state-by-state -state laws of anti-trans, and anti-LGBTQ legislation for a clear message about what is coming next. It's gonna take tremendous resistance from all of us to stop this movement, to protect each other and ourselves, to save one another, literally. It has never been truer that our liberation is bound up, all bound up. Nobody is free unless everyone is. 
But if we are going to look at religious reasoning about this, even then, those fundamentalists are on shaky ground morally. I don't think they have any ground to stand on, honestly, if we're going to consult scripture. That's because the Bible has more than 2,000 verses regarding poverty, but none about abortion. Only about five that seem to pertain to homosexuality. And the Bible offers a very elastic view of gender. I think that this might come as a surprise to religious conservatives who profess to love their Bibles, but want to ban other books from classrooms. Here's what I'm talking about. In Genesis 3.12, in its original language, Eve is referred to as he. In Genesis 9.21, after the flood, Noah repairs to her tent. Noah is a her. In Genesis 24, 16, it refers to Rebecca as a young man. And Genesis 1, 27 refers to Adam as them. In Esther 2, 7, Mordecai is pictured as nursing his niece, Esther. In a similar way, in Isaiah 49, 23, the future kings of Israel are prophesied to be nursing kings. And these are not mistakes in translation or typos by ancient scribes. This is what the original Hebrew intended to convey. The rabbi Mark Samoth writes, quote, in the ancient world, well-expressed gender fluidity was the mark of a civilized person. Such a person was considered more godlike. In ancient Mesopotamia and Egypt, the gods were thought of as gender fluid and human beings were considered reflections of the gods. The Israelite ideal of the nursing king seems to have been based on a real person, a woman by the name of Hatshepsut, who, after the death of her husband, donned a false beard and ascended the throne to become one of Egypt's greatest pharaohs. The Israelites took the transgender trope from their surrounding cultures and wove it into their own sacred scripture, he writes. The four Hebrew letter name of God, spelled Y-H-W-H, was probably not pronounced Jehovah or Yahweh as some have guessed. The Israelite priests would have read the letters in reverse as who he. In other words, the hidden name of God was Hebrew for he, she. Counter to everything we grew up believing, he concludes, the God of Israel, the God of the three monotheistic Abrahamic religions to which fully half of the people on the planet today belong, was understood by its earliest worshipers to be a dual gendered deity, end quote. Even in the English translation, Genesis invites us to think beyond binaries. Think about it with me. God creates day and night, but also dawn and dusk, water and land, and also coral reefs, marshes, and estuaries. The creation stories are not a catalog of everything on the planet. It's a poetic outline meant to draw our attention to the incredible, beautiful breadth and depth of it. God transcends gender. Trans and non-binary children are the image of God. When I say that, I'm saying something that has already been known for thousands and thousands of years. Trans kids are the image of God. So let's take loving care of them and let's take care of each other. We cannot give up.
for as we said in the call to worship this morning, now we are poised at the threshold between resignation and revolution. Let's make this sanctuary a launching place. We take our offering with these words by the Reverend William Ellery Channing. These words were written and spoken in the 1800s. I call that mind free, which sets no bounds to its love, which is not imprisoned in itself, which recognizes in all humans the image of God. Our Change for the Future organization for March through May is the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico providing advocacy, education, and direct services in support of transgender, gender nonconforming, non-binary, and gender variant people and their families. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and please include change for the future on the memo line if relevant. Looking for a sign, waiting for a sign. Someone is listening, someone is watching over me. The sun is shining, casting a silver lining. Birds singing in the trees, bells are ringing. I am free and still I cannot see what's right in front of My back. I will never lack cause love is asleep. Love is watching over me. Are you looking for a sign? Waiting for a sign. There's someone is asleep. Someone is watching over you. your gaze, look all around you now, to your left and to your right, anywhere within your sight, there is love all around, just waiting to be found, there's love, 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 love is watching over you, you need to guess who's got your back, you will never let go. What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of this church and thank you on behalf of TGRC.
you know, your designated gifts for Change for the Future add up to thousands of dollars every quarter. And these go to small local nonprofits that provide critical services right here in New Mexico. So your generosity is really appreciated. Makes a big difference. We're approaching the end of the service. And whether you're in our breakout rooms or at home with your family or friends or by yourself, here's something to mull on a question from today's sermon. And it's a simple one. How will you care for and protect trans children? How will you care for and protect trans children? Before we do our extinguishing our chalice, though, I invite you to do our Pacham greeting. Place one hand over your heart. Maybe place your view in gallery. And with your other hand, reach out towards your camera and your community. Even over computers, we are together. Blessed be. And now the time has come for us to extinguish our chalices and candles. And as we do, as we go out from the service, friends, go in peace and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. <laughs>